everybody. Welcome to Rock and Roll Shinsu Chu. My name is Gabe Estel. This is episode 20. Thanks for hanging in there. We have reached our 20th episode. I'm here with my co-host, Dennis Levi Leach and Jonathan Getz. How's it going, guys? All right. Good. Good, good. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. So um, I want to dive right in here for the leadoff portion of the show. Um, earlier this week, um, I think just a couple days ago, really, uh, Kid Rock, Detroit native, um, Detroit area, I should say, um, called out um, Beyonce in an interview with Rolling Stone that he did, um, where basically he said that and I'm paraphrasing a bit here that she doesn't have kind of a, he, he, he was puzzled by how popular she is and he doesn't think she has like an anthem, you know, like a, I think he cited like sweet home Alabama or uh, rock and or uh, um, old time rock and roll. Two songs from his vast uh, <laughs> uh, musical taste repertoire. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And then he, she said, he said she doesn't even have a, a purple rain. Um, so, uh, in her, um, that's a weird, yeah, I know. Right. A weird comparison. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a guy that has always kind of had a lot of ambivalence around kid rock. Um, I've never really dug his music, but at times over the years I've seen him and I think, you know, he seems all right. He seems like an all right guy that, you know, you could party with, um, but other times, I he opens his mouth, and I think he sounds, you know, sort of stupid. And also, I, I think that he tries to wear, tries to, like, be the classic rock torchbearer a little bit too much. It all seems a little bit forced yeah. to me, you know? Like, uh, and I, I've always joked with people that I think if you go over to his house, it's all greatest hits. I don't think he has any... <laughs> I don't think he has any like any like uh, you know Bob Seger records that aren't like Bob Seger's greatest hits. You know, I just I, I could be wrong, but I I, I don't uh, I don't think he does. A lot of the um, Masters yeah. series, right? Exactly, exactly. I I don't think he's gonna um, get into you know talking about uh, you know Grand Funk Railroad B sides or anything like that with you. <laughs> um, so I want to see what you guys. First of all, you know, I want to see what you guys thought of the dust up. I mean. To me, it's him being the dickhead, you know? I mean, she didn't... Beyonce, whether you like her music or not, um, she's popular. Um, she'll probably stay popular. She's in a high-profile relationship. Oh, yeah. She's married to another big musician. But I'll give her this. I, I, I don't see her talking smack, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. She, I, I mean, in, she's pretty harmless to me. I mean, it's just... <laughs> I realize when a Beyonce record comes out, it's probably not for me, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. First, I would have to preface everything I'm going to say with, I'm not really a fan of either of them. Same here. Yeah. So. Musically. I, you know, yeah. yeah, musically. And so part of that is, yeah, I think anybody who is that far across the spectrum from each other, they're going to look at each other and be like, how are they popular? Right. You know what I mean? Right. I, to they're a kind of in competition. Ex- to, I mean, two to of the few people extent. that are probably yeah. still selling a lot of tickets. Yeah, you know, and album sales are probably I do, not that high, but respect. I, I agree with the classic rock torchbearer thing. It yeah. seems like he's the only guy left yeah. that's really doing it. Like uh, the, the darkness got popular for a little while, and uh, what the lead singer of the darkness? What's his name? Uh, uh, Justin I, something. Yeah, Justin. Uh, he 
he was kind of a torchbearer for the classic rock sound and lifestyle for a little while, but now it's like all on Kid Rock's shoulders. Yeah, and, I mean, Dave Grohl, I would throw into that mix too. Yeah, uh, yeah as he seems like a more sincere torchbearer. Yeah, like you know, doesn't have to tell everybody he's the torchbearer. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't. I don't think Kid Rock has has a Purple Rain either, though. You know what I mean? He uh. Like, his closest thing would be his biggest selling album, which was The uh, Devil Without a Cause. And, the, yeah, that's nowhere near a Purple Rain-level record. Well, I mean, I think he's had a lot of hit singles lately. I just don't listen to them, you know? I mean, I uh, he's yeah. got that new song out that sounds exactly like Summer of 69. I don't know if you guys have heard it. It's called yeah. First Kiss. It's terrible. Yeah. It's just <laughs> it is cringe. To me... His music doesn't sound like classic rock. It sounds like new country to me. And then he had that song that was about um, uh, it, it referenced Sweet Home Alabama. Yes. And it was a war on Zevon riff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's it like wow, how uncreative can you get? The, like he took both songs. And... The dude's kind of a ripoff artist as well, you know. It um, seems like it. Yeah. Um, here's what I would call his music. Skinnered scraps is what I would call it. <laughs> that's basically that's basically what it is. I, you know? I just I don't understand why he would try to compare or, or even reference Beyonce. I mean, he might as well be referencing a an opera singer, yeah, or right. a uh, a hockey player who's really popular. I mean, <laughs> it's just it's totally different ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Right. And if it's not his cup of tea, then who gives a shit? Like, why right. even comment on it? You know, right. it's it's puzzling. I mean, she looks, she looks better after all this than he does, you know? I mean, Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And then, yeah, you know, her uh, her social media followers will just eat him, uh, yeah. eat him up, and, and he'll have to close his accounts. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't like her music, but she seems pretty classy, you know? I mean, she seems... Right. Right. Yeah, you right. know, I mean, like, I, I don't, I don't, I couldn't name one song on her out of that one that's like about a ring or something. But um, yeah, yeah. But but yeah, I mean, I, I I'm not bothered by her because she's not making music for people who like Emerson, Lake, and Paul. Right. You know, like me. Right. Right. You know? I mean, she's a she's a wonderful entertainer. I've seen her, yeah, you know, yeah. perform, well, and she's really great at it. I can say that I saw Kid Rock. He opened for Metallica the time I saw Metallica in at Pontiac, Michigan. And he was entertaining, but it was on a whole, like, I'm selling you the whole thing. And that's how it is with her. You know, it's about the lights. It's about the dancers. It's about the whole production of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And and you buy into that as as a concert goer. And so that is the entertaining aspect of them. Right. And, And I would say they're both on near, I mean... They're near the same level as entertainment factors, but yeah, right. just different I, audiences. Yeah. I just want to know: yeah. Does he have like an album coming out soon? Is he trying to get his name out there he just is. to get he's, some he publicity? Just, he had an album that just just came out yeah. like last week. Yeah. So yeah, he's just trying to get some publicity. Yeah, right. he even commented on her figure, which kind of indicates how shallow of an yeah. argument he had. He's like, I like. I mean, I'm quoting, it's kind of a creepy quote. He's like, I like white women with big tits, you know, he said. Yeah. And like, yeah. like fucking sleazeball. You know, like, yeah, right. Yeah, you married Pamela Anderson. That's obvious, all right. Um, yeah, he's, he, it, it just, his whole shtick, it all seems a little contrived to me, you know? Right, right, uh, and it's I'm ironic guy, how contrived it is. 
I'm the guy in the convertible that's got Freebird cranks. You know what I mean? Like, like you know, well, great. You know, you don't have to tell it to. You don't have to. You don't have to tell me that. You know, I mean. Uh, no, he's he's literally that guy. Yeah. Who had the 1984 Firebird that would drive around the neighborhood blaring Van Halen and Skinner tapes, and he, he never figured grew out up. how to market that. Yeah, he never grew <laughs> up, and he's figured out how to market that as an adult. Yes, that's exa- That's very well put. Um. <laughs> You know, one last thing about him, and we need to move on. Um, I also think the reason he's so popular is, and this is just me speculating. I, I'm not. I don't have any figures in front of me. I think he's captured the new country crowd. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that's a large portion of the listening yeah. market that actually still buys some albums. Yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, yeah. you know, that's that's why Walmart Jerry sales. Brooks. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. why Walmart sales are. Yeah. That's why. Walmart specific sales are still yeah. relatively high. Yeah. Um, and I think I think he's captured that market because if you listen to his uh, his some of his newer songs, like, you know, his last two or three albums, they're definitely, you know, they're definitely very radio friendly, hooky. You know, they could definitely they could be played on a country station as yeah. well as like a pop station. Yeah. You know, um, so. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think that he's he's captured that audience. Um and from a from a marketing angle, I mean, you know, that's that's a good move. Yeah, you know, um, he's he's going on tour this summer, and I'm sure I'm sure the tour will do really well. Um, so so maybe. yeah, but it it just maybe yeah, the whole thing just left a bad taste in my mouth. She ended up looking better than him. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. Kid Croc is what I'll call it. <laughs> um, so anyway. Um, moving on to baseball, guys, I want to talk about um, s- the first game, spring training games, are this week. So everybody's been down there for about a week and a half now or so. And uh, I wanted to get from you guys, because I haven't followed the Cubs and the Royals that closely so far in camp. What positions do you have that could be up for grabs? want to hear that and then i'll uh, i'll share the white Sox. because the white Sox have got a a couple positions that are up for grabs still and a couple slots that still need to be determined so levi why don't we start across town you tell me what's going on uh well out in arizona the cubs really the main focus obviously this offseason is all at third base and it's about chris bryant yeah and the the key is the cubs aren't going to be able to bring them up opening day just right. for contractual reasons oh and right so right that that is creating an issue to where the opening day third baseman could possibly be either michael or tommy Listella, and a lot of people are leaning towards the Listella getting the job they got him from atlanta last year, i believe right? yeah, yeah atlanta and i guess he has a, a decent on base percentage and um a, a lot of people are thinking he's going to get the opening day job over mike ole hmm. and so to in my as a cub fan my i see their need as a backup is michael they need to keep him in my eyes no matter what because he's our only backup at first base besides anthony rizzo yeah i mean he's 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 a corner infielder you know he could play either one probably first a little better yeah i mean if Um, you you look on the official cubs death chart it's anthony rizzo and michael and that's it you guys don't have Derek lee anymore Uh, Mark think, Mark Grace retired. I think he's on the Marlins. Um, <laughs> right. Anyway, 
Yeah. Okay. So third base is still kind of. A, I mean, third base is kind of a question mark still. Um, yeah. I mean, right now it lo- looks like if we were to go today to uh, to Clark and Addison, we would be taking Rizzo at first, Baez at second, Tommy Listella at third. Uh, shortstop is Castro, mm-hmm. and then you'd have Coughlin in left, Fowler in center, and uh, over in right would be Jorge Soler, and then catcher would be Montero. So that, that could be a really interesting team. That's what I was thinking. I was like, right now the starting lineup doesn't seem that awful. No, so, no. I mean, yeah. there's there's a lot of you know sweet young yeah. talent that needs to pan out. But yeah, and and that doesn't even you're not even I'll. Alcantara or Alcantara, he's not on there. And, right. um, you know what I mean? There's a lot of options that Madden's going to have to play with to insert in and out of this. be a fun season for you, man. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. For, you know, hey. At the same time, they need to fix this shit about uh, players and their contracts regarding whether they're called up and uh, whether they start the season with the team or oh, yeah. if they're called they up in ju- June or July, yeah. this is it's dumb. It's a technicality and it ruins the flow or it impedes the flow of a season for a team. And I I don't know what you do to fix it because I don't know yeah. all of the the specifics of it, but it just needs to be fixed. Yeah, yeah. it's like basically hold them back a month to gain a year of team contract. control. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know it is. It's kind of a it's kind of a lose-lose, you know? I mean, um, yeah. yeah, I don't like it either. Yeah. Well, interesting stuff, man. I, I, I like I, the Cubs, uh, the Cubs really intrigued me this year. So, uh, um, I'm looking forward to it. Nice to hear, nice yeah. to hear, uh, um, an update. Jonathan, what about you, man? What's going on in Kansas city? Well, one of the things uh, that came up last year, the, the Royals signed, uh, Omar Infante, uh, second baseman for four oh, okay. years and 30 million. And at the time I thought it was a pretty good move. And yeah, he hit 300 the year before with Detroit. Yeah, yeah, he he did pretty well, and it was kind of their big move in free agency last year. Unfortunately, last year he was he was crap uh, both uh, from the plate and with his glove. And so, in the meantime, Christian Colon, who was their first round pick a few years ago, finally worked his way after a couple few years through AAA. Uh, worked his way into the majors to gain a few dozen at bats and and actually played a role in the postseason and uh you know in cologne overall has you know he's progressed slowly than than they had hoped and now at best you know they're hoping that he'll be a utility infielder or something like that he can play a third base as well as second and maybe even yeah. some short in a pinch so uh, infante starts still just because of the money i yeah, guess yeah yeah infante because of the money but at the same time cologne's on his heels and probably at the very least there to spell him uh, once or twice a week, and I, I, I think it's you know it's another point in baseball this idea of oh we you know we're paying this guy a lot of money we have to play him which I think right. is is kind of stupid mm-hmm. uh, to throw good time after bad money regardless yeah. what's right. I mean all you need to uh, boil it down to is productivity. And, uh, you know, whether you view it through the eyes of, well, we're paying him this much money or we're paying the backup, in this case, Cologne, this much less money, uh, it should be a wash. Uh, It's not as if you're going to go out and pay another $30 million for another second baseman to have on the team at the same time. Now, that would be dumb. 
so I hope that the money doesn't play too much of a factor in the decision. At the same time, Cologne isn't a guy that's going to go out there and you know become an all-star, so he's really going to have to prove his worth. And uh, that'll that'll be the most interesting battle there at second base. Mm, cool. You know, I, I won't I won't belabor this point, but I am really puzzled by people underestimating the Royals. Like I, I see all these people saying they're going to win fewer than eighty games. Yeah, and we're going to go from a World Series first World Series appearance in nearly nearly thirty years mm-hmm. to you know. Um, and it's, yeah, to, 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 sub to, 500. to having a below 500 record. Right. And it's really fascinating because there were probably five years in a row where people were picking this team to finally finish over 500. Right. Granted, they did two years ago as well. But yeah. to you know to make the breakthrough. So for five years, people have been predicting, okay, this year's the breakthrough. But this year, they're deciding, okay, now that they went to the World Series, they're going to fall back. Yeah. Um, which, which it, yeah, I mean, it's very unlikely that they make it back to the World Series. Uh, but to suggest that they'll win only, say, 72 games is kind of uh, – it's it's an interesting approach to uh, uh, the idea of potential and trying and expecting yeah. that potential to bust out. And then all of a sudden when it does, for granted last year it was only a few months out of the season that it really busted out. Once it does, then they expect a huge fallback. Mm, so yeah. it's it's fascinating. I guess I don't get it when when you have still a core of young players that are entering their prime. You know, yeah. somebody right. like Lorenzo Cain, right? Um, right. You know, your couple pitchers, Duffy, Ventura. Yep. Yeah. Um, I mean, granted, you traded down with with Volquez for you know losing Shields and and getting Volquez. I yeah. think, but yeah. um, but I don't know. You were you were in it. I mean, you didn't have the resources to re-sign him. So right. What are you going to yeah. do? Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Um, with the White Sox. Um, the second base is up for grabs. Um, there are really kind of four candidates for the job. Um, two of, but I think it's really between the these two young guys, and these names aren't really going to mean much to anybody outside of the White Sox fan base. But um, they've got a guy named Carlos Sanchez uh, who played a little bit last year, and then they've got a guy named Micah Johnson. And Micah Johnson, not last year, but the year before, stole like 80 bags in in Double A, I think. Um, so he's a you know he's a he's a speedy guy, um, but you know the hitting might not necessarily be there. So he's like Billy Hamilton. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sanchez has a little bit of everything, but nothing great, you know, in all of those categories. Mm-hmm. And then, and dear God, I hope this isn't the case. We've re-signed Gordon Beckham, and I really hope Gordon Beckham doesn't return oh, to second oh. base. Um, and the other the other option would be Bonifacio. Um, who I like, but but I like him, but I don't think they signed him to start. No, they, they signed him to be kind of the super sub utility guy. He can, he can, he can do anything, but catch, you know, I mean, um, so I'm, I love having him on the team. I just, you know, I, I don't think they signed him to be a starter. Um, so same thing with Beckham as well. Hopefully I think they brought Beckham back to be, you know, the, the utility infielder as well, which I'll give Beckham this. He can play defense and he can play, he can play short mm-hmm. and what, uh, second what or third. What year will this be for Beckham? When was he a rookie? He came up in 09 and it was okay. right after college. Um, okay. You know, he, he was, he was one of those ones. He, he didn't play a full season in the minors. Hmm. Um, you know, they brought him up right away. He had some success and then right. um, never, never returned hmm. to his rookie year level. 
Um, you know, they, 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 they kept him since the potential was there and he was a high draft pick. They kept him on a pretty long leash for a while um, and traded him to the Angels last year around September, I think. And then, um, you know, re-signed him, um, you know, for, for, for a, a pay decrease. You know, I think they, he signed for a million bucks or two million bucks. Um, but yeah, he's uh, great defense, but just the hitting's never really been there. But at the same time now, I think he's, maybe he'll be okay because he's, I think he's expected to do less now that he's not. Pressure's off. Intended to be a starter. Yeah, the pressure's off. So all he's really got to do is, is fill in at second base if one of those young guys doesn't pan, younger guys doesn't pan out mm-hmm. uh, and then also there are a couple of bullpen sp- slots open um just two names i'll talk about quickly uh there's a guy that used to play for the twins he actually played for the white Sox a couple of years ago his name's jesse crane he's a veteran guy um yeah he uh he probably will get one of those bullpen spots just due to his track record i mean say if he if he just pitches halfway decent in spring training and then the other question mark is kind of what they're going to do with carlos rodon uh the big draft pick from last year yeah um i would think that um he will start in triple a he he didn't get a lot of innings in last year uh at double a um and i think that you know obviously they're grooming him to be like a front of the line starter you know right behind sale and samarja um, particularly right behind sale if we don't if we don't get Samarja back after this year, um, so you know I don't I, I don't see the point in rushing him. You know I I, did, I I would I would actually even though I'm excited to see what he's going to do I I prefer that he starts in AAA just because I think he needs to get the innings under his belt. Definitely. You know, yeah, because uh, I mean there is some talk swirling around about like well what if we start him in the bullpen and then you know kind of move him up to a starter that's what they did with Sale. I don't know. I figure, like, you know, what's the point? You know, if he's going to become a starter anyway, you might as well put him down in AAA so he can so he can get the innings. You yeah, know? the Royals are kind of in the same position with Brandon Finnegan, who, oh, yeah. who right. has, uh, gained the notoriety for pitching in the College World Series and the in the MLB World Series last year. And it's it's an interesting proposition because you have a guy who did come up and you know he he was he's he was in the show and and he performed when he needed to perform but mm-hmm. then it's then the next year comes around and you're like okay we need to take a step back now and we need to you know if if we want you to be a starter as opposed to just a bullpen guy then we need to send you down and you you need to kind of go through the the, the steps that a lot of guys have to go through. Yeah, I say why rush it, you know, yeah. um, those guys, both those guys, uh, you know, the, the ceiling could be pretty high on both of them. So I'd, I'd, you know, it'd be better for the team, I think, if they just kind of took their time with those dudes. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, you know, the heart of uh, the heart of our order um, tonight, um, want to talk a little bit about um, we're talking about sort of promotion on promotions as well as um kind of the marketing of music and baseball in this day and age, given kind of the climate, um, you know, you've got an industry on one side where, you know, the sales of the unit sales are in the toilet. Um, and then you've got an industry on the other side uh, with baseball that ticket sales, aside from in a couple markets, aren't really very strong, but the teams are doing well. I mean, baseball's still making a lot of money. You know, I mean, it, and it's because of these lucrative TV contracts. Um, but so the the news that was um, out of the concert in, or well, of the music industry, excuse me, uh, earlier this week was that 
release days typically have been on Tuesday in the United States. Those are going to be moved to Friday sometime this summer. And the logic behind that is to um, to boost record sales and to kind of hopefully curb um, illegal downloading and file sharing. Um, so to to maybe make a release day, you know, more of a, like it used to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is probably not going to, it'll probably never return to that. I wouldn't say probably, it definitely will no. never return to that. Um, but, so I want to talk about that. Um, kind of, we're going to share some of our release day stories uh, as well as what we think of that idea, you know, moving it to Friday. Um, and then uh, some of the kind of sort of uh, memorable uh, release day promotions and uh, things like that from uh, from the past. So, so Jonathan, why don't we start with you, man? Um, what do you make of this moving to Friday? And then uh, what's your what's your memorable release story? Well, I, I think the the move to Friday is. And granted, this might be a little focused. It's kind of inside baseball, if you will, for mm-hmm. a lot of people. You know, a lot of people may have forgotten that albums were released on Tuesdays. Right. Uh, but you know, I'm I'm somebody who, as, as Tuesday mornings, I'm popping open RDO and and I'm and I'm checking to see the, all the new releases. Yeah. Uh, really having no idea what there might be, and I'm and I'm flipping through them and playing, you know, maybe ten or twelve new albums that day, which is a, f- a far cry from how it was done twenty years ago. That's for sure. And so it's it's kind of a big deal, I think, uh, because now you can make Fridays are events more than Tuesdays are events in in our right. society uh, with yeah. with the weekends thanks to thanks to the labor union, and uh, I think record stores could could turn these releases into events, uh, especially with the uh, increased sales of uh, and demand for vinyl. Uh, which, you know, more people might be going to record stores for vinyl now than, than picking up a new CD. Yeah. yeah. And so if you can turn that into an event on a regular basis, uh, on a weekly basis, where, oh, it's Friday night, record store is going to be open late because there's all these new releases. Right. Uh, then, you know, you, you might build your community a bit more and, and stabilize it. And in in a community that, as a result, kind of interacts with each other a bit more. Granted, you know, me sitting uh, sitting in front of my computer and going through the new RDO releases isn't exactly a romantic notion, but right. I do find a lot of stuff that way. Uh, and and at the same time, I can see what other people are listening to that day. Uh, but I I, th- I think it's a good move, uh, though there has been some uh, some speculation that this is a move to benefit the the big. Uh, the big labels and the big acts, and I don't quite understand it. There's been some quotes and some stories that this is uh, this is going to be a problem for uh, for the minor labels and acts. Uh, I asked uh, Love Garden Sound in, in Lawrence, Kansas, uh, their opinion today about it, and uh, they said six one way, half a dozen the other. It didn't. It doesn't affect them in any way. Right. Uh, and I thought that was interesting. So it, I'm I'm. I'm curious as to how it's going to play out. At the end of the day, I, I don't think it's going to make much of a distant difference from a whole industry standpoint, but maybe more at a local standpoint. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, here in Springfield, Illinois, as you guys know, Recycled Records, their two days they get orders are Tuesdays and Fridays. So all it's going to basically do is switch the day the new uh-huh. releases. I mean, they yeah. they were always getting an order on Friday anyway. Okay, and interesting. So, 
So now it, you know, it, it like like the story you talked to, it's not really going to affect them much at all. And um, I, I like the idea, like Jonathan said, of turning it more into events. You know what I mean? People are more apt to go to a record release concert on mm-hmm. a Friday night than on a Tuesday night. Yeah. Right. And so, um, talking about um, that, yeah, I, I just, I think hopefully maybe they can get more and more of a promotional aspect and tied into the weekend party type of a thing. Up, yeah. Like you guys said. Yeah. I mean, I, this yeah. is this is kind of, uh, I don't know, it's kind of a curveball, but like, I don't know, sponsoring things at bars, you know, spo- you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Release parties, things like yeah. that. I, it's, I mean, if for an industry that needs kind of new ideas, you know, that might yeah. be a, that might be a good idea to tie it in to make it an event again. Yeah, and I've uh, always so, been interested in. I've always found it interesting when a record store isn't open late on a Friday, because you know uh, I'm not somebody. Me and my wife aren't people who are going out to bars on on the weekends, and that's sure. not really what we're interested in doing. Right. And rather it. it admittedly if if we go out to eat then afterward we might go shopping somewhere but there's not a whole lot that might be open after uh that that late on a friday and ideally yeah i would you know i would just go into a record store and be perfectly content with spending uh 30 45 minutes in a record store on a friday night every week and and i'm always surprised when when a place might not be open because it just seems like a perfect opportunity because not everybody is just looking to go out to drink uh, on a yeah. friday night yeah. now, with levi's idea about sort of um record store release day concerts i mean what about for some smaller bands um smaller labels maybe all right i guess you could do it for big labels too if you had the right venue um you know what about the the admission charges? You got to buy the album. You know, I mean, right. yeah, right, yeah. It's much know? like much like a a, a book um, a book, book tour, a, like book a book signing sign. and tour, tour uh, yeah. where your admission is buying the book. Right, right, and and yeah, the book industry's been doing that for years. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's another industry kind of uh, going through some rough patches as well. But yeah, um, yeah. They, yeah, I mean, they I, know they they know how to make the release exactly. kind of an event. You well, know? and and it, it seems like. The music industry had this in the 80s down to a science, man. Yeah. If you look in the 80s, it was like JVC Jazz Festival, Miller High Life presents this rock concert. It was mm-hmm. like the tie-ins and the companies were there. But I guess now the money's just not there, so nobody wants to to, to promote like that again. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah. you used to be able to get companies to tie in with your with your with either your label or your band or something. Or, or bands showing up at Tower Records and doing signings. Yeah. You know? Like, it'd be yeah. like the one in L.A. most likely, yeah. you know? But, yeah. 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 And, um, and actually, if uh, I follow Amoeba Records in, in L.A., uh, uh, right there uh, near Hollywood, and yeah. they're, they're doing it. They have in-store events all the time. That place is right. packed. They have lines around the corner. And uh, local places here do it. Uh, Mills Mills Record Company is a place uh, in Westport. Uh, they're always doing events. They just expanded into the neighboring uh, 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 space, and it's pretty remarkable considering. Yeah, it, you know, with some of these releases as well, um, you know how a lot of a, a lot of older classic rock artists are repackaging their albums with a lot of extra materials you know a lot of supplementary stuff um whether it's live tracks or outtakes it's weird because you know 
the goal used to be, well, we want this album to reach as many people as possible. Now they're, they're sort of aiming a little bit narrower and kind of going after the collector market, you know, like, you know, let's say the Rolling Stones, even a band as big as that come out with, you know, exile on main street, like they did a few years ago Mm -hmm. with that, you know, the, the new, well, the newer tracks or, um, the supplementary material. This you past know, week was physical graffiti. Right, right, physical graffiti earlier this week, yeah. Which, you know, uh, they know, the record label knows that, you know, that's not going to really, like, fly off the shelves. It'll probably do okay. But they're they're aiming for sort of the collector's market mm-hmm. now, which is, absolutely. I guess what I'm trying to say is that the, the formula's kind of switched, you know? Yeah, it used to be It used to be cast a wide net. Now it's kind of like, well, let's go after the people that we know are definitely going to buy this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And give them and fatten the package so yeah. you know, they get, they get, uh, they really, they turn out to buy it because there's, you know, there's a big incentive with all the supplementary material. So they yeah. used to throw and, out um, wide nets. Now they just throw out uh, crab pots. You got it. That's exactly <laughs> it. And quite honestly, to, to send it back to uh, Beyonce and artists like that who are selling, still selling tons and tons oh. of records. Oh, yeah. uh, they're they're subsidizing the other bands on on those labels yeah. uh, because of those sales. You, you got you got about ten artists keeping the record in the major labels afloat really yeah. right now. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're they're like thank God for that guy that sang the happy song last year. <laughs> um, anyway, um, I know his name. Okay, shout out <laughs> uh, to Pharrell. Yes. Um, well, with release days, you know, obviously the three of us are at an age where um, release days were still kind of a big a big deal for a little while, up until probably, I'd say, maybe, you know, 12 years ago or so. Um, you guys got any memorable release day stories? I mean, I, uh, I remember, obviously, when Pearl Jam's and the Black Crows, two of my favorite bands, their albums would come out. I would go to the store and get it on the on the release day and it was you know you would call your friends you would talk about the record etc now it's like it comes out on rdo and i listen to it in the background while i'm working on a spreadsheet <laughs> oh, yeah. you know well, and, and, <laughs> right. yeah and so i have a couple and yeah. it, you know it was in an age before you couldn't you didn't get to really preview the tracks no. before you mm-hmm. bought the cd or anything like that you may have heard one on, on fm yeah. yeah and yeah. so I, I remember two stories where we skipped lunch like we like we left school at lunchtime and drove to best buy to buy the cds mm-hmm. and um the one was eric clapton pilgrim and it turned out to be awful <laughs> right and that was the, the beginning of his was downturn black crows by your side and yeah. we were like disappointed somewhat with it yeah um i remember one that i was not disappointed with and that was evil empire rage against the machine <laughs> a buddy who was maybe I think two years younger than me, we convinced his mom to drive us to Best Buy because I think he said he was going to buy like a Michael Jackson CD or something. And then we both came back to the car with Evil Empire and put it on. And she's like, oh, my God, what is that? Nice. Nice. Well, Jonathan, we shared some of release days. I remember actually going together to buy uh, some records. By Your Side was one of them. By Your Side was one of them. Very cold January night, I remember. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then uh, No Code, I remember buying with you. Um, I think we, yeah. Um, Vitalogy, I think, as well. Mm -hmm. Um, 
yield I got, I remember, you know, running down um, right after class. That one was my freshman year mm-hmm. of college, going to the local record store and picking it up. And, you know, I had a schedule then where I could listen to it like four times on the day it <laughs> came out, you know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, I, so I miss that, certainly. I'm, I'm, I'm hungry for that nostalgia. Yeah, definitely. yeah. yeah. It's, uh, you know, you mentioned Vitalogy, and uh, you might recall that that came out on vinyl. Uh, two weeks before it came out on yeah uh, came mm-hmm. out on CD and I happened to be down in Florida with a buddy uh, we were staying we were just down there at a condo that it was his grandparents and that we were down there when it came out and I was only uh, 14 or 15 at the time and uh, so we we managed to get driven over to a uh, record store and uh, uh, picked up the vinyl and then we went to a uh, went went to a neighboring condo for friends of his grandparents that weren't even home because they had a record player and we just sat there and we played it. <laughs> we had to work for it back. We then. did, we did. We <laughs> we had to hopscotch Floridian condos to play records back in my yeah. day. Right. Yeah. Just to hear it two weeks early. <laughs> to hear yeah. it two weeks early. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, you know, I, I was also going back and looking at some of like sort of i don't know release day sort of gimmicks or promotions and things like that um i I, and the one that comes to mind to me and uh they they would never ever do this again was use your illusion i don't know if you guys remember 1991 i mean just a ton of buzz around it because you know there was a big you know appetite for destruction came out in 87 User Illusion came out in 91, and basically in, in the years between, they became pretty much the biggest band in the world, you know, the biggest rock band. Mm-hmm. Probably got the throne by Pearl Jam and Nirvana, really. Um, but, um, you know, so the, the, the hype around those User Illusions, I remember just being oh, yeah. huge. Oh, yeah. um, I guess, like, I, I read a little bit up on it before the show, and, and, and the sales were really high, but the sales didn't necessarily meet the expectations. Like, people, I guess I guess a lot of analysts were like, oh, this is going to be, like, this is going to be, like, thriller, you know, like those mm-hmm. types of sales. And it sold a ton of records, I mean. Um, but it, just the idea of releasing two records on the same day, oh, not yeah. sold together. Yeah, full length. You know? Yeah, 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 it's a double LP that they separated you know like that would never ever happen again you know it's just like even even back then it was a gamble mm-hmm. oh, yeah. um but gnr had so much leverage oh, yeah. you know at that time that they could have been like they could have told geffen you know what we're gonna do uh, a polka album it's gonna be four disc they'd be like <laughs> whatever you know because they <laughs> yeah. knew it was gonna oh, yeah. just move a ton of units and then be followed by a stadium tour you know um and and both of them did really well still like User Illusion won within its first week. They were both released on the same day, September 17th, 1991. User Illusion 1 sold over 600,000 copies, and then User Illusion 2 sold 770,000 copies within the first week. So. Which one was November Rain on? November Rain was on number one. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Um, what, what Was I, there a single out before the, they were released? Yeah, I, uh, I think uh, Don't Cry. Don't Cry, yeah. yeah. So don't Cry, I think, back. is all. I, yeah. I, I, was that I, I one or remember. two? Was that on one remember. or two? Uh, uh, don't Cry, I believe, is on one. Yeah. Huh. I Interesting. always like two a lot. I like two better as well. Um, yeah. I, I think, you know, the whole... We could have a whole other show on Guns <laughs> N' Roses releases, but... Um, yeah. 
you know, there's as far as there's some filler on it. Like they're they, yeah. It's probably better if it would have just been like one album, like fourteen or fifteen tracks. You they know, kind of like a meaty one yeah. LP. Yeah, but at the same time, it's because there are, there's a track or two that are just straight up like faces cuts that never yeah. would have made a single disc release. Right. Yeah. Right. So I thought it was just I brought it up because it was very unorthodox, you know, for the time. Oh, yeah. You know, to release, you know, because I mean, basically at that time. You know, the CDs costs were pretty high. Like, you know, you had to spend about 30 bucks, you know, to get those two records, if not a little. Yeah, about 30 bucks, probably to get those two CDs um, separately. So just the whole thing is just the marketing uh, was just great on it. Like it was it it was so tied in that, like, I was I was a little kid and it was like I thought they were the soundtrack to Terminator 2, like exclusively. Absolutely. It was like all one thing. Use Your Illusion and T2 and GNR. It was all just one big Yeah, everything yeah. was lined up for those guys, man, for during those uh, those years. Um, also, one other one I'll mention before kick it back over to you guys. Um, this didn't do as well, but as a Kiss fan, it, it certainly has its special place. Releasing four solo albums <laughs> on the same day, you know, oh, like, yeah. I mean, that would never happen today. Yeah. You know, f- simultaneously releasing four solo records. Oh, yeah. um, you know, and, and really, Aces is the only one that really did well. You know, it's the only one that had a hit single, um, and it's by far the best one of the four. Um, so yeah, but that's just another thing that was just oh, yeah. you know, you'll never you'll never see something like that again. Yeah, the best thing about those records are the posters, right? Right. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll say Ace's records. Good. No, a- Ace is good, but those yeah. posters—you put like all four of them next to each all, other. Yeah. They're awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but but they they didn't you know that actually releasing those four albums at the same time kind of marked the end of kisses heyday i mean they were still big after that but like they released dynasty and that was you know kind of a disco record it alienated a lot of fans and then you know once peter left you know it uh popularity started to decline even more so yeah that was kind of the that was kind of the big that was kind of the the end for the golden era of kiss so yeah anyway yeah 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 Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, as far as, you know, with with record sales, you know, kind of, you know, being in the toilet and them uh, taking uh, taking sort of some drastic measures to to retool how they sell albums. Um, do you guys think there's anything that. Like that you would like to see more offered, like in the concert or music industry, like I was thinking for a concert ticket, when I buy a concert tickets, because concert tickets are just, you know, they're esca- the prices are escalating so much. Um, I, I know for a fact because we got fairly well tickets yesterday. <laughs> um, I would like to see, like, maybe you get a code and you could download the show a day or two later, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, just it's when you, no matter how you buy the ticket, you know, I'm assuming most people are going to purchase them electronically. So when you get the email that's got your ticket attached or you get it in the mail, you know, you've got a code on your ticket, you know, and you get the you get the concert for free, you mm-hmm. know, as part of the ticket price. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That doesn't seem like too much to ask, you know, no. and I I just don't know why even bands that aren't really known for their live performance, why they're not doing that more. You know, yeah. it seems to me like it doesn't matter if it's one direction or, or Slayer. I would think that the people that attend the show would like to probably have it, you know, that that's, that's me. 
Well, I think that uh, to get back to Pearl Jam again, uh, you know, they dealt with this quite a bit over the years, uh, starting with releasing their entire 2000 binaural tour on CD uh, after the tours. Yeah. Um, and then they got to the point where uh, you know they kind of eliminated the the physical copy, and then you could you could go get it from the website. Yeah. That couldn't have been cost effective, like releasing all that that two thousand. Uh, no, yeah, you know? especially like, yeah. I, mean, not, I loved going to the record yeah. store and seeing fifteen Pearl Jam that's, CDs. Oh, yeah. That's that awful awesome. for the record store though, because they they yeah. hold all those. They don't know which one ones people are going to end up buying. Exactly. Right. And yeah. well, and it created like limited rare ones. Yeah. Some of yeah. some of them are worth more money than the others. Sure, yeah. the physical copy, yeah. Right. And then I think it got to the point where they um I think the was it the Wrigley show that they were that they were going to now maybe not the Wrigley show, but at one point they were ready to um burn CDs after the show outside the venue. Right. And I think they did it for a little bit but then bailed. I and the Crows did that for a Black time. Black Crows, okay. Five, yeah. the, okay. the Halloween Riviera show. Mm-hmm. Did they? Well, the whole that, I think that whole tour they did. I okay. Think. Yeah, we. I. I could be wrong, but yeah, anyway. we got the disc from that Halloween show. Did you? Night. So yep. did you yeah. wait in line? After Waited the show? in line afterwards. Yeah. 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 So that was ten years ago. Yeah. I, I, I'm I talking just, about Pearl Jam now. Yeah. Now it's just you know go straight to the website. It does, but it's delayed. You know, yeah, it might be after the tour they'll slowly release the shows. Uh, bit by bit and i think they just realized that it wasn't worth the intensive effort to be focused on that one thing while they're on tour um for the result you know for the sales that they were generating from it and they're just like screw it we'll just wait till we get back and that way because you're on tour it's an intensive environment where everybody's got their thing and you got to get to the next city as quickly as possible and uh, what do you mean though i mean it's not like per it's not like you know immense like uploading the shows or something I no think. no no just the, the the general uh uh staff that's in charge of that i have no idea what who right. that may have been um uh maybe brett elias and uh on the tour for pearl jam uh but you know and, and i'm not saying that that they didn't have somebody that that was their only job but maybe they just figured out it's just not worth you know selling 175 copies of this concert hours afterward when you sure. could just as easily sell 200 uh, copies of it two months down the road. Yeah, I don't know what's involved, you know, and who's... Yeah. Like, I know Fish has turned them around pretty quickly, mm-hmm. which it's kind of weird that a lot of the bands that have always allowed taping um, audience recording now, you know, are are putting their 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 albums directly online usually the fish the fish shows are like the next day usually mm-hmm. um i mean and they've got you know they've got a big operation too yeah, like huge. pearl jam um but i totally so, see what you mean about band you know big pop bands like one direction yeah. or whatever you know capitalizing and making some more making uh some more scratch uh yeah. as, as they're sending them out the door yeah absolutely I'm I'm just surprised more people haven't taken advantage of it because the technology's there. It yeah. seems relatively easy to do. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it's the modern day uh, get your picture taken as you're going down the roller coaster. You, like, it's ah. very good analogy. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I, I'm just surprised that more acts. I mean, most of the a lot of the our favorite bands do it in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, it hasn't really caught on that much with uh, with other acts. So for the one thing I would love to see with baseball is more 
I mean, they sometimes call them like 70s nights, but more like loss leader nights where it's like $10 tickets or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like just, turn back the prices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I think there needs to be at least like a mandatory like four of those at least a, a season or something yeah. just to just to give the people who possibly wouldn't have a chance at buying the 30, 40, 50 dollars. Yeah, like good seats chance. for 10 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just right. make it to where right. it's like 10 bucks, show up. Make it like a, a general admission game, or I yeah. don't know, do something. Food coupons, something. you know, something yeah. like that. I mean, I mean the the food the food and drinks are where they're making the money, you know, at Absolutely. the park now. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, ticket sales, I wouldn't go so far as to say they're irrelevant, but you know, they're not that important. They're not an important piece of the pie anymore. Right. And that's why the Marlins can can draw four thousand people a game and still turn a profit. You mm-hmm. know, because they've got they've got a lucrative tv contract yeah you know they've got merchandise whatever um so so there's i guess what i'm trying to say is like these things that levi's talking about with these deals they could do those because you know they're not going to get hurt yeah right right you know i mean like i mean we're looking at like a half a dozen teams that consistently sell out games Mm -hmm. you know yeah boston the cubs Although I would, I will say the Cubs not as strong as they've been. A little bit Some weaker. Years, yeah, yeah, weaker. I mean, like come set, come like middle of August or so. It's not that challenging to get a Cubs ticket, you know. And that could change this year if they're competitive. But, yeah. but yeah, Boston, Chicago, St. Louis. You know, Cardinals have a strong following. Um, you know, I, I guess the, Yan- yeah. the Giants. Yeah, San Francisco definitely. Um, but I mean, that's really about it, you know. I mean, yeah. the Yankees, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's um, it's a far cry from the NFL, where probably uh, of you know, I assume a majority of the teams are selling out games. Yeah, uh, every week. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe not the Jaguars. You of know, course, it is different know. with football because the scarcity of amount of games a year. Sure. Uh, that's a that's a huge difference. Right. Right. Um. Cool. Well, some good ideas there, guys, um, and I want to uh, – we'll talk about those online as well. You know, we can exchange some ideas there. Um, if you uh, if you get a chance, everybody, make sure that you like us on Facebook and uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at in letter N, Chew. And we're getting to the uh, – and also you can visit our lovely website, rockchew.com. So we're at the point in the show now where we give you some recommendations of, of music we've been listening to. It doesn't have to be new. doesn't have to be old. Just what we've been digging on lately. So, uh, Levi, I'll start with you, and then we'll uh, we'll move it around. Well, um, I mentioned uh, an artist last week, the Count Buffalo, the right. guy's from Japan. And so that's kind of spun me on this whole course lately towards fusion. And mm-hmm. so um, I picked up a record this last week. It's called uh, Romantic Warrior by Return mm-hmm. to Forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's uh, Chick Corea, Stanley yep. Clark, Lenny White, and Al DiMiola. Hell of a hell, – yeah, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's kind of an it's, old it's star a great, fusion band. Yeah, it's, it's a great album. And yeah. um, I, I I find myself enjoying the music more now that I have a nice speaker set up. I, I got some new speakers for my uh, turntable, and so – 
all, all the albums sound new, and it seems like the Fusion records just really stand out, man. They're recorded really well. I, I've picked up a few different ones besides that one, but they pick up some Weather Report. Yeah, uh, yeah, I have Weather Report. I got a, uh, I got like a GRP live, and GRP was like a jazz fusion label by Dave Grusin. Right. And so I have this uh, live LP where it's Chick Corea, Dave Grusin, uh, Lee Rittenauer, and uh, Diane Schur, mm. who's uh, sings some jazz vocals. And it's great, too. And so, yeah, I've been on a jazz fusion kick lately. Right? Mahavishnu Orchestra. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Good. I like all that stuff, too. Yeah. Um, some of those weather report uh, live shows are really out there in a good way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the first song of this album, this Romantic Warrior, I put it on and was like, wow, this is intense stuff. Man. It is. Like, yeah. like, sometimes it's literally just like four guys all going just crazy just attacking it yeah Yeah. right good stuff man um so return to forever uh jonathan what about you uh i've got uh beck's uh modern guilt ah uh obviously a lot of people are familiar with forgotten one in the catalog exactly and that's why i picked it out because it is kind of forgotten and overlooked and admittedly i had done it i got it i probably listened to it a few times and stashed it away and then you know, I keep going back to it regularly uh, uh, throughout the year, and uh, you know, it's it's a pretty uh, modest record. I don't think it's more than 35, 40 minutes. Uh, the the production is just is subtly awesome, and it's a it's a it's a hybrid back in between. Uh, it's it's more like mutations in that it's it's not exactly mellow gold or Odelay, but at the same time, it's not as his morning phase or sea change. And, and right. it's, a, it's a hybrid version of Beck that I really appreciate. Uh, uh, this and Mutations are probably my two favorite records of his. And um, and the production on this is just slick as hell uh, in a good way. And uh, yeah, Beck, Modern Guilt. What year did that come out? Good record. Uh, it is 2008. Okay. I yeah. okay. say 07, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it was a little older than that too, Levi. Um Great. Well, good stuff. Um, for a guy that just, you know, he's guy. We're going on a over twenty year career now for that guy. You know, yeah, for the supposed, you know, uh, uh, inevitable one hit wonder. Right. Yeah, he showed them. Um, so anyway, um, the band that I'm going to recommend, um, you know, Levi recommended this band last week um, called Woe Fat. Um, that's really good. And I would say these guys are sort of in the same vein. Um, I don't want to, you know, um, discredit them. And, you know, they've got their own unique sound, too. But it's definitely kind of your sludge, stoner metal. Um, There's a band from Columbus, Ohio that I like a lot called Low Pan. That's L-O-P-A-N. And they're named after one of the villains in Big Trouble in Little China. Nice. Uh, (laughs) Yes, which is a phenomenal film. Um, (laughs) Low Pan has three uh, LPs out. Um, and last, the one that came out last year, Colossus, I think is, was one of the best records of, uh, of last year and really kind of them really honing their sound. Um, they've got another record called Sasquanaut and they've got another one called Salvador and they're all great. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so check them out. They've, they've played with uh, a band that I rant and rave about all the time called Torch. Uh, that I've talked about on this show quite a bit. They've played some bills with with them as well. So I think the people, I, I guess what I'm trying, people that like Torch, that like Wofat, uh, that like Caius, you know, 
uh, I think they'll definitely like Lopan. So um, their website is lopandemic.com. Um, so check them out. Uh, they, you know, they play a lot around Ohio, but they, I think they're, they're making a, a trek over to Europe too this year, which might be their first trip to Europe. I'm not sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, check them out. Low pan. Uh, I think, uh, I think you'll really dig them really, really, really just monster riffs yeah. and, uh, just some sludge at its best. Yeah. So, cool. yeah, good stuff. All right. Well, on that note, then, we're going to close out episode 20. I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, I want to remind everybody of how you can check us out. You can visit us on Facebook. Like our page, please. Tell all your friends to like it. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at RockNChew. That's Rock N, letter N, Chew, C-H-O-O. Also, that's the handle on Instagram as well. Follow us there. We're always posting cool pictures of baseball stuff and vinyl and all kinds of nice visual treats for you. Um, and also we've got a gorgeous looking website that just uh, went up uh, about a month ago or so, and it's rock chew. So R O C K C H O O.com. So we've got some blog posts going on up there. Yeah. Join got, the conversation on absolutely. Twitter. J- tweet at us what you're listening to. Tweet comment on the episodes. To. Yeah. yeah. To take pictures of baseball cards, share those with us. Um, you know, we've got uh, a lot of cool stuff going on. A lot of the bands that we reference during the show, you can find videos of them all in one convenient place on our website. So you can check that out. Definitely go out and buy and stream legitimately their music. Uh, support them as well when they come around. So, uh, yeah, good stuff, guys. Right and uh, we will see you for episode 21 real soon. Take care, everybody.